This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations of people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I am at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin. In our very first show of Blowing Bubbles, we talked to the wonderful Steve Henry in Mochawaka. And today, he's sitting in front of me. Welcome, Steve. Kia ora. How's the year been? Oh, it's been wonderful. Thank you. Exceptional. So how did the bubble turn out to be? Well, it was um, a great time for a reset. I think about what was important and uh, an opportunity to dive deep. Me. So where did you dive? I dived into something. I, I dived into some things with really big names, <laughs> which I, I learned a new word, which was autoethnography, which I'd never really understood before or met. I knew what autobiography was, the story of someone's life, but autoethnography being this meaning changing in that life for me was quite a revelation. And uh, yeah, I dived down that rabbit hole. Mm. And the being stuck at home, not able to go anywhere, made it easier to do that? It did make it easier to go there, into those places. I found myself with a bit more spaciousness yeah, to, to, to dive into other people's work. Mm. When we talked to you last time, you were talking about a hoping for a reset in terms of the country, mm. both the environment and the people, being able to take a bit of a breather Mm, that's right, and I, you know, I've been pretty involved in tourism historically, and I live up in the Motueka area, as you mentioned, Abel Tasman National Park, and I spent a fair bit of lockdown on my boat in Anchorage. You know, I was there in level three working on my boat, and it was the first time in 40 years I was there alone, which was remarkable for anyone who knows that place. And nowadays it gets a couple of thousand people a day there um, during summer. It's the peak. It's a peak place with tourism and with international tourists. So they just went. So. I did things like reflected on tourism as a metaphor for colonisation, actually. For, for European Pākehā New Zealanders, tourism's probably the closest thing to what colonisation must be like, <laughs> to, to have someone co- people come to this land, bring their values, uh, impose, not, not meaning to do it, but just with their presence imposing. And, yeah, the quiet was, was one of the biggest things that happened when uh, tourism shut down. And because and it's such a low-wage economy and it's based on volume, it, it just needs to be reset. And all the tourism leaders are actually saying this reluctantly, that it needs a reset, and they're not, they don't really know how. But uh, it'll be fascinating to watch. There was an interesting report in the paper last week in response to the... Environment Commission's the, the, report? The Simon Upton's Parliamentary Commission's Parliamentary report. Commission's on, report. On the, and the, around tourism, yeah. Yeah, the, the people in in Queenstown and Wanaka seem to be quite welcoming, with the, with the exception of the mayor. But people like Trent 
Yeo, yep, Trindio, um, yeah, Trindio. Seemed to, re- to be really encouraged by it. Yeah, and, and I think there's two schools of thought in Queenstown, in Wanaka. There's those who realise the future of tourism is not based on volume, and there's those who cannot get their head around that. <laughs> and, and they're the... Look, we've, we've had growth ever since tourism began in New Zealand. What's the problem? And those who see that, for example, Queenstown is a constrained basin, um, noise is, an, is a growing issue, silence is harder to find there, that alone is, has an impact on the quality of the golden goose, <laughs> which is being slaughtered by other forms of development. So, you know, it's... it's Whereas over the hill in Monica, um, there has long been a, a watching Queenstown going, we don't want to be like those aspects of that. That Yet, here's Queen, Monica now. You know, uh, one of their district councillors recently said that he thinks it's going to be bigger than Melbourne. So it was a you know, very interesting comment, I thought. <laughs> um, so, so it has the potential, you know, for those who know those basins, to, 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 to sprawl. But whether or not you want that is another question, and whether or not you can design for it um, is another question, or design the prevention of it, because a whole lot of people are coming here in New Zealand because it's a remarkable safe place to live and be, and we've known this for a long time. So, you know, those communities attract a lot of people with a lot of money uh, who are buying property because they can, and I don't think there's much that can be done about it, really. Wanaka seems to be hanging on to that small town feel a lot better than Queenstown has? Well, I, I mean, I don't think it's worth generalising. They're both remarkable places and there are great people in those places. But cultures happen because of slippage and um, incremental change that people don't... And the tragedy of the commons, which people may not have heard of, is this idea that once you begin to... You basically erode public good through um, and the common, common like silence for example you know as soon as the aircraft enter a space it changes the space and and you know if you're in the plane you don't think that but if you're on the ground you do and so you know watching Queenstown's airport and I lived in Monica for 25 years and had a big role in Queenstown's uh, future planning with the mayor two-term mayor Vanessa Van Uden contracted myself and others to lead a process called Shaping Our Future, which was to get community engagement. Instead of paying lots of consultants to make up the ideas, and it was to go out and harness the genius of the local community who loved the place. And that showed that people really cared. They didn't want growth. They wanted um, destination to be managed. So, for example, the Queenstown Marketing um, Entity for Tourism changed its name to Destination Queenstown to reflect the fact that part of their role was to um, manage the destination. But unfortunately, they haven't done that because the mindset has continued to be, how, how do we grow? And there's plenty of, you know, and Mayor Bolt has laid his cards on the table very clearly that he's a, a big supporter of airport expansion in Queenstown, nowhere else. And... It's just a no-brainer that it, it ain't going to work. <laughs> just watch the curve. It just cannot keep going. You've thought about this in a wider sense. What's our obsession with growth? Look, I just think it's convenient to always grow your way out of a problem rather than design it well in the first place. <laughs> so if you design something really well in the first place... So I'll tell you my thoughts on tourism and uh, designing it well. I think New Zealand's unique point of difference, if we look at it, is not only our landscapes, it is our people. And the 100% Pure campaign was based on a 100% Pure New Zealand experience. That's originally the tagline that was invented by Tourism New Zealand at the time. Um, and 
somehow the it got shortened to 100% pure, which then got became an ecological message, which actually was never the intent of Tourism New Zealand, because they know we ain't 100% pure ecologically at all. In fact, we're in decline. So they found themselves in an awkward wee position <laughs> as the rivers are declining and getting busier and you know emission standards are worse than most places where our visitors come from, etc., etc. So, yeah, the, the rhetoric versus the reality, that, that gap has widened, and I believe the future lies around authentic presence of individuals who run companies t- to give visitors a unique time. And, and, and um, yeah, what's New Zealand got that's different to the rest of the world? Well, for starters, it's got Maori people who offer a unique lens on this landscape. And... They're not the only lens on the landscape. There's also great people who've immigrated here who have a lens on the landscape. So, yeah, I think it's about customising the niches to the place. And the tourism companies that have done best in New Zealand for the longest term have identified a niche, occupied it, and really not deviated that much. I mean, you know, Queenstown's adventure focus has pretty much remained so. Wanaka's quieter lifestyle has remained so. Um, you know, there's not too many motorised activity in Wanaka. <laughs> it hasn't gone down well. You know, so so the rest of the country is similar. So, you know, there's a few companies that have gone global based out of, um, you know, Magic Memories out of Queenstown. It's a global company now. And, you know, Tourism Holdings, our biggest tourism company is global. And um, a lot of people don't realise that. And it's they're, they're based from here. Yeah, and they're taking a serious shock at the moment of course mm. so yeah I think tourism's a it, it, the, the, to, to, to take it from a low wage economy which relies on volume to, the, to, to, to transform that to something else it's going to take a monumental um, shift of awareness that currently isn't in the mainstream that, that's my read mm. Travel through my head Like a phone line But it goes dead I look to the moon and I Wish upon a star There's no more pain Wherever you are Ooh, I hope you're alright That's why I know that I'm not afraid I'll face the night just like I I face the day 
So you're in Dunedin for two reasons. One of them is delivery of a young student. Yes, yeah, my son's here, which is pretty exciting. I brought all this stuff down and uh, he's in a flat, which I kind of look at. Which we can see. Which we can see. And I walked in and went, oh my God, I wouldn't let my dog live in here. But anyway, it's all right. It's all part of the growing up experience. And uh, he's delighted to be in there with people he cares about and who he met in his hall of residence last year. And uh, yeah, they're a very diverse bunch. I delivered Henry to Christchurch. The well, same thing. Yeah. You know, he formed a flat with his the floor from his from his hall, and they weren't going to be budged from that. And yeah. they're putting a lot of effort into spreadsheets for who pays what in terms of buying the food and cleaning rosters. And let's hope that sticks. Let's hope.
double sprite of the forest of Orokunui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, Hope you're all happy stay, beautiful stars, versus early hope around you. This journey and illuminating for you more and more each day. Now as we know, we have so many and change over the last several months together. I'm so grateful for these five months together, helping me to reframe and recalibrate. And I hope it can be helpful. Thank you very much for having you, Sam and the whole Blown Bubbles team. So now that we can once again frolic about in unparalleled freedom here in Aotearoa, Eden, making sure, of course, that we are scanning our QR codes, keeping ourselves nice and hand sanitized, wearing masks on public transport, we are still able to do many, many things that the rest of the world is not able to at the moment. So how lucky we are, so fortunate. And as we know, I. I'm now living on my own and exploring as a solo adventurer my daily reality. And so I had the great pleasure of undertaking a large-scale garden transformation yesterday. And I was able to really revolutionize several zones in the garden and remove many unwanted items and return them to the universe thanks to these wonderful large garden sacks that can be dragged about. So even though I was feeling that I might not have the immense upper body strength required for all these tasks, I in fact managed to triumph and am feeling a great sense of release having cleared this space and having transformed this space in a way that I really wanted to. I also of course feel very happy that I was able to do this for myself by myself. And I think for all of us, when we do something new like this, we see new aspects to ourselves. We see new levels of that we didn't know were there. And this means we can just do more and more. So I really hope for you over the last several months and at the moment, you're finding new ways in which exercise your transformatory powers and find deeper levels of strength in yourself new ways of doing, seeing, being, feeling and that you can make the aspects of your life that you want to revolutionise. So I'm excited to do more of this garden transformation process today, moving on to the next level. But I was amazed yesterday how much I was able to get done and it was really just the getting started and getting going and once that had taken place everything else happened very quickly and very easily. So I really hope for you, if there are projects that you're working on at the moment, you can really enjoy getting started with them and the ease and the speed from which this initial catalyst to action will mean all of your endeavors from that point flow effortlessly, very smoothly with great motivation and, and ease. And I really hope for you, if you are having to do things in a new way, if you are doing things by yourself that previously you had done with others or vice versa, this is going very well for you and serving to remind you of the triumph of nature's art that you are, the deep reserves of innocence that you possess, that you can always choose to transform that environment around you. And I'll look forward to talking tomorrow. Thanks so much. Kakiti. And the other reason you're here is for your doctorate. That's true. Yes, I'm doing a doctorate in professional practice. Yeah, it was a 
and uh, um, I've got a, an assessment panel shortly, which I view as a pretty remarkable opportunity actually to reflect on my practice further and deepen it and have more critical awareness around what I can't see rather than what I can see. So yeah, I'm, uh, I love the doctorate in professional practice because it's not only got a research strand like a PhD would with an academic uh, you know, new knowledge requirement, but the professional side of it is, well, what's my professional development trajectory and what am, what's my intention in that space? And so it's an invitation to have a look at how I've acted before. And that's where that big word before autoethnography came in. And um, I've, I've kind of dived into another big word, phenomenology, which is which is really an attempt to study things and the essence of them as they are through people's lived experience rather than through a particular lens. And, and I'm interested in the in transformation and what, what does it take. So I mentioned tourism before and how, do, how, do we, how, how can it possibly transform existing mindsets. And uh, so I'm very interested in the power of learning to transform if it's done well. And, you know, what's the difference between good learning and good therapy? Hmm. I, I don't think there's a lot myself, but I guess the health folks would know more about that than me. But uh, but I've watched plenty of people use learning for th- a therapeutic uh, intent and, and do well with it. So yeah, my, my own journey with learning has been, it, it has been a, a, a balm for me, a soothe, soothing thing and a, and a place to... So I've set myself the goal of being really well while I do my doctorate. A lot of people get very stressed and uh, feel under pressure, and I'm choosing to do the opposite and saying, okay, I'm going to go really slow, take as long as I possibly can to do it, and enjoy it. And today's a moment of enjoying having half a dozen people in a room who hopefully have read my stuff to so we can have an informed conversation about how it could be improved. And I, I find that uplifting, not... Th- daunting hmm. so, having said that the butterflies are a little active at this time <laughs> it's good that we're talking about other stuff
How was your boat? Oh, my boat is my love of my life. If I, and it's on the opening slide of my doctorate presentation today because I thought if I was bringing 28 slides of professional practice, I wanted to introduce myself. And yes, my beloved wife and I have a lovely debate about whether the boat's home or the, the co-house is home. So we live in a co-house um, there where we've created three flats inside a big house and it's uh, proving wonderful. I only cook one night in five which I really like and uh, have we, we share evening meals with the different residents in our home yet we all have our own private spaces and kitchens here so the boat's uh, a place of it's where I've written most of my doctorate and read a lot of interesting perspectives from other people and uh, yeah so it's it's a joyful thing it's you, don't, you don't find yourself just sitting on the boat just gazing out to sea and not thinking about it or no, maybe the not well, thinking about it is the thinking about it well I learned a few years ago that if I worked 15 hours a week of highly productive, insightful work, I did way better than doing 60 hours of trying to think about things. So I've learned that if I go out onto water um, at some stage during a day, either um, on a paddleboard or row a canoe or swim or whatever it is you do, that something I've been pondering, will the, the solution will arise for me, will arrive. So it's not like I, I don't use my computer much on the boat. I use it to read documents, but I certainly don't um, download stuff and watch videos or any of that sort of stuff. So I use it as a vehicle for reading. Um, where possible, I'll get paper copies of things and read them on the boat without a screen, because that has a different quality to it. Hmm. So yeah, I've, I've been getting books out of the library, which is kind of a bit ridiculous. I've never done that before. <laughs> since I, since I was through about 30 years, I've never got books out. Yeah. And did you get to go adventuring over uh, the summer? Um, adventuring yeah I mean I've, I've been um, yeah my, my, we, we, we sp- I spent a lot of time on the boat I mean I spent 40 nights on that boat last year that's why the debate is out whether it's home or whether the <laughs> house is home and uh, yeah I mean the dawns and dusks are what, what are special for me and we do a lot of fishing and really like eating all of, as much of our own food as we can get and there's tons of fish around this summer so it's just unbelievable what we're hauling out I mean yesterday we caught kingfish snapper uh, barracuda, kahawai, and herring, and a, and a, and a cod. Oh, no, 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 gurnard, the ones that cough at you and have a chat as you uh, pull them up, they're beautifully coloured. So, yeah, we're, we're out in quite deep water. There's, I don't know if you know, but in Tasman Bay, there's massive mussel farms. Tally's of company there have got mussel farms. They're probably 10 square kilometres of oh, open wow. water. Yeah. So you, so everyone goes out and fishes in amongst there. Okay. Because that's where all the kingfish are. And, and if there's a mussel boat there harvesting... All, all of us just go in as close as we dare. To, <laughs> like seagulls. They, like seagulls, because the, the fish are just going nuts, because it's all being disturbed, and there's burly, and there's just... And, um, yeah, some people are... And, and there's sharks out there too, so there's a bit of a reluctance to get in the water and spearfish, but they've picked, you know, there's a lot of fish around. So it's, it's amazing the amount of life that's tied to that. And, uh, yeah, it's very interesting. I find it fascinating that uh, we've got a marine reserve that's re uh, being re... re Rejuvenated um, after it's only been shut for five, five to eight years, and it's already they're saying seeing fifty percent per annum increase in most species, but they're finding real limits around things like scallops because of sedimentation from forestry, and cyclone Gita they're saying was a massive problem for the scallop fishery in our area. Um, so yeah, it's it's I have a fascination with um, how the ocean works as much as uh, above land. Hmm. Thank you. A short show today, but because you've got other things to be doing. But thank you very much for joining me and 
enjoy today. Thanks, Sam. Sam, the opportunist radio interview grabber. Nice to see you. with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. We're brought to you by the Sustainable Lens team who are brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. We had a contribution today from Tahu McKenzie. We were listening to Jinder Bayat, I hope you're all right, Molly Ralph with Traitor, Troy Kingy Karmanu, and this is continuing our summer theme, Mega Train Holiday Home. I'm Samuel Mann at Otago Polytechnic in Dunedin, sitting with Steve Henry. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.